Today we will be uh, celebrating some baptisms of children. We will also be welcoming new members. And last but not least, uh, if if, uh, he doesn't run out before then, we will be ordaining Craig Newcomb to the office of ruling elder. And the question I'm asking in the, the short time that we'll spend here in the Scriptures is this. Who belongs in this church? Right? It's a question that our new members have been asking. Do I belong here? And I'm going to actually focus this question in particular uh, on these children who are being baptized today and try to address a little bit of that as we walk through the passage. Do children belong here? Do they belong in Christ's kingdom? And how are we to think about the baptisms that we are about to celebrate? Let's look at it briefly together. Uh, If you were to ask the disciples, do the children belong with Jesus, meaning in that moment, as he is busy conducting all sorts of important business, the answer from the passage would be a decided no. The children do not belong with Jesus. Uh, We know that because they were rebuking parents who were attempting to bring their children to Jesus for the purpose of receiving a blessing. Uh, The language is reminiscent of another story in the Gospels where a woman who's been ill for a very long time seeks to simply touch the garment of Jesus, saying, if I can only touch for a moment a thread of his garment, I will be healed. And of course, he knows uh, that power has gone out from him, and he applauds her for her faith. It's something similar is happening here. These parents are saying, what I want for my children is a blessing from this man. Of course, the disciples, uh, just to be clear, the disciples would have believed in the Jewish rite of circumcision by which uh, at least the male children were declared to be part of the covenant, physically speaking. Um, They would have believed in Jewish education. They would have believed uh, that children were of value in general, right? Contrary, by the way, to the culture of their time who did not believe that. However, they did not believe in specific that children were worth the time of Jesus Christ here in this moment. And I want you to look very carefully with me at the response of Jesus. You can learn a lot about people, I think, uh, by their strongest emotions. And look at the response of our Savior, the one whom we've worshipped this morning. Look at his response in verse 14. He says, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was indignant. What does this word mean? Well, the same word is used of the chief priests and the scribes as Jesus is being welcomed in as the the Messiah of Israel and what's become known as the triumphal entry. Um, In another gospel account of this same story, the word is literally there, a snorting animal. Okay? Maybe it puts a little bit of skin on it for you. So Jesus is absolutely furious. And why is he furious at these disciples? What, was he, what got him so upset? And the answer was, they were hindering children from coming to him. They were hindering them. The idea is that they were stopping him. They were weighting them down. I'll never forget, I, um, I uh, used to, uh, my, grew up around aviation and we, my dad owned a small airplane, and we would fly all over the country. We one time flew to the Bahamas, and I'll never forget, my dad was so afraid of going through customs, right? Because, you know, if you, if you, um, 
gave off the wrong vibe, they would insist on taking like the airplane completely apart to look for uh, illegal substances. And we, I was all worried about that. And in comes this airplane. And this airplane apparently had brought with it a cinder block that was attached to it through the air. And they were wondering, why was it flying so funny? Why was this all out of whack? And little did they know that they forgot to untie the cinder block until they landed in Florida and found it dragging behind them Right? The block was hindering them. Right? It was slowing them down. And what Jesus is indignant here of is that the disciples, instead of bringing children to him, instead of welcoming them, they were doing the opposite. They were hindering, either slowing down or in some cases stopping them. And so, friends, Jesus responds very clearly and he says, I'm indignant at what you're doing because they belong in the kingdom. That's literally what he says. For to such, people often add, you know, this is simply a metaphor, but it's not. In Mark's gospel, he says, to such, uh, these belong the kingdom of God. And friends, I'll tell you that uh, if you're familiar with the Old Old Testament scriptures in particular, we find there that the practice of bearing children and raising them is entirely bound up with the work of God, right? So if you decide, you know, I want to have children, and you go ahead and try for that, and the Lord uh, blesses you with children, understand that what you're doing, right, in seeing children born and being in your home, right, or if you don't have children, but you're in a church like this where there are many of them running around and talking during the service, um, it's okay, right, that you have a responsibility says Holy Scripture, to not just not hinder them, I would argue, but instead to work to see them come to Jesus. I want to read some of these Old Testament passages to you. Um, You know, as early on as uh, the book of Genesis, right, as early on as the book of Genesis, uh, the creation of the world begins with recognizing God's place in the bearing of children, Right, so for example, Eve, when she has her first son, she says, with the help of the Lord, I have gotten a man. We fast forward just a few chapters, three chapters to Noah, uh, where we hear this idea of God's covenant mentioned, which will be the central, the central theme throughout Scripture, by the way. And he says this, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. And children are explicitly mentioned for the first time here in connection with the covenant. And then we fast forward a little bit to Genesis 15. Abraham is uh, learning about God, and God brings Abraham outside in chapter 15, verse 5, and he says, look toward heaven and number the stars, and if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and accounted to him his righteousness. So the idea of children here uh, and descendants in general are central to the covenant. But what about, you know, what about saying it explicitly? Well, it is said explicitly in the prophet Isaiah chapter 59, verse 15. He says this, this is my covenant with them. This is how my covenant works, he says. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring 
or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. And our Baptist friends will say, any of you who are Baptist, we love you, welcome, great to have you, please forgive me. Um, Our Baptist friends would say that, well, yes, it was true that children were explicitly tied to the covenant in the Old Testament, but not in the New Testament. However, we then read in the second chapter of Acts, as Peter is addressing the crowd, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? I wonder. For the promise is to you and for your children. Right? And then you might say, yeah, but he misunderstood, and you know, they, they really cleared things up with Paul, but then we read about Paul's activities in the book of Acts, and every single time children are present in the book of Acts when there's a baptism, every single time they are baptized. Philippian jailer, Lydia, it's referenced also in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And friends, the church has believed for the vast majority of its existence Right? The church has believed that baptism is appropriately given to those who believe and to their children. In fact, it was so ubiquitous in European history that your baptismal record effectively served as your birth certificate. Right? That was kind of an early birth certificate. And so we are going to do that today, and I want to just try to draw out for you why we're doing it and what it means. Now, there are three basic views of baptism, and I'm going to dramatically oversimplify them. Uh, And the first is uh, the Catholic view. Uh, Perhaps some of you here um, are good Catholic people, and we love you and welcome you, and I've learned a lot from your tradition, so we're grateful for you. Um, And if you are Catholic, you would say, well, yes, of, of course the children should be baptized. Why? Because that is how God's mercy and grace is communicated to them And it's communicated automatically, right? It's automatic. There's no response needed. That kid gets, you know, wet. Grace is given. It's automatic. That's one view. Second view, uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum, is from our Baptist uh, dear brothers and sisters. And they would say this. Baptism in itself does not have power, right? It does not have real power. It is, on the contrary, what you do in obedience to believing, right? It is how you obey the command to be baptized. In other words, it is you proclaiming your faith, and it is simply an act of obedience. Well, what is it that we believe? We're kind of in the middle. Uh, Presbyterian theology and theology of John Calvin, uh, whom we are theological descendants of, he would say this, that baptism has power, it has real power, when it is responded to in faith, right? And so the idea is that as these kids are receiving this sign, that as they grow up and as they are able, intellectually able, which will vary throughout their lives, as they look back on their baptism and they say, God, you had your hand on me. You loved me before I could do anything good or bad. You said you were with me when I had absolutely nothing to offer you but dirty diapers I praise you because you have pursued me all the days of my life. When, when these kids, if they look back on this day and they respond in a way like that, we believe that power 
is communicated to them, that grace is communicated to them. And uh, one of the reasons we believe that the children of believers, uh, that baptism belongs to them is because baptism at its essence, its very essence, is the sign of God's covenant, right? And, and Jesus says right here, he says, uh, speaking of the kingdom of God, which is, is to a large extent synonymous with his covenant, he says, the kingdom of God belongs to them. He did not interview these children prior to blessing them. He did not find out their history, right? He looked at the faith of their, of their parents, bringing them through unpleasant men who got it wrong, right? Bouncers at the door. And he said, you belong here. This is for you. You belong in this kingdom. And I'll tell you that my story is when the Lord gave us our first son and uh, my wife was pregnant with him. I had a theological crisis. I had been raised um, in, in the Baptist tradition. I had a theological crisis as uh, she was pregnant. Beginning, We were beginning to just think all about who this uh, child would become. We didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. And I remember asking this question, God, right now, in this moment, right, as, as this uh, little one is in the womb, and we're all worried about, it, you know, is, is he going to be born healthy, and is he going to make it to uh, the delivery time? What's going to happen? How is he going to grow up? The question we were asking is, does he belong in your kingdom, right? Can I, can I tell him to address you as Father? And as I study the Scriptures, and I study the theology, and I study church history, the answer that I came to, uh, the conclusion was, yes. Right? And so folks would ask me, Darren, what does it mean that you are baptizing your child? And I would respond to them, you tell me first, what does it mean that you are not baptizing your child? What are you saying about them? Because baptism means that you belong in the kingdom. And Scripture says, these little ones do. Right? And so, that is a basic, a very Cliff Notes overview of the theology of baptism. I'd love to talk with you more about that if you would like. But what I want to do right now, and in conclusion on this passage, uh, now that we've talked about baptism, is answer this question for all of you. Whether you believe in infant baptism or not, that's okay. By the way, lots, lots of folks in our membership don't, and I, I respect everyone. And um, I tell everyone when you join, I say, you don't have to believe in infant baptism, but you have to tolerate me enjoying it. And I really enjoy it, okay? So, the question that uh, is very appropriate for today as we welcome these little ones into the family of God is this. How is it that you might avoid hindering them? Right? And I want to tell you, I am speaking to uh, parents here today, uh, Ben and Katie, uh, Patrick, Christiana, Kyle, Rebecca. I'm speaking to these parents. I, you know, one of the most important things you will ever do as a parent is not hinder these little ones from coming to Christ, right? You can't guarantee that they will respond to their baptism in faith, but you can, by how you raise them, not hinder them. Now, I am not only speaking to these parents. This is a sermon to all of you, right? Because if you are here and if you are a member of this church or joining this church, you are going to make vows whereby you say, I vow that I will assist these parents and effectively bringing these kids to Jesus, 
right? You will be, you will be pledging that uh, as members of this church. So I ask the question, how might you fulfill those vows? How might you not hinder them? And there's a lot of answers to that question, right? So for example, for parents especially, one of the ways uh, that you might not hinder them is by arranging your home and your schedule around Christ, right? That Christ, His church, His worship, prayer, the Scriptures might have a strong and prominent place in your schedule, right? Bringing them even to home group and to worship, to making those part of your priorities by teaching them the gospel or how to pray, teaching them the Scriptures, uh, introducing them to the catechism. These are all ways that you can avoid hindering them in coming to Christ. But there's one other way that is actually the way that is referenced here in our passage, and I've uh, uh, heard about some research that actually suggests that this way, right, there is a way of hindering children that seems to be the most potent tool you could ever have in keeping them from Jesus Christ. There is one thing you might do that, uh, according to research that I've heard of, would suggest it is the most potent tool to keep your kids from Christ, right? What is it? Well, I think we see here in this passage, and Jesus is he's indignant at the disciples. He's furious with them. He's the snorting animal, right? Because they are hindering these children. But he goes a step further in verse 15, and look at what he says. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Whoever, so what he's saying, he's going beyond you know, simply being the bouncer and blocking folks from coming, he's saying, look, not only are you wrong about the children, but you might be wrong about yourselves. You might not belong here by what you're doing and by what you believe. What was he talking about? Well, he tells us what he's talking about. He's saying you are not receiving the gift of the kingdom like a child. What does he mean by that? Right, great question. Um, I remember the first time I preached this passage, we were in the fit-throwing stage, not by the adults primarily, but by the kids. We did it a little bit less. And I remember saying, you know, much of my parenting is changing diapers and trying to contain fits. So in what way am I supposed to be like that with respect to the kingdom? I, I used to ask that. And of course, uh, that is not what's on Jesus' mind, but what's on his mind clearly in this passage is the issue of humility, right? See, one of the things that children are naturally good at is understanding that they need things, right? Children are naturally good at needing things. You know, and the younger uh, they are, the more they need things. And what the disciples were doing here in blocking these kids from coming to Jesus, is they, were, he, they were effectively saying, look, the kingdom will one day be for you when you reach the place of having enough intellectual ability to comprehend what's saying and then to be worth Jesus' time. And Jesus was saying, you know, not only am I furious for what you're doing to the children, but you might not even be entering the kingdom with that perspective, right? And what Jesus is doing here is he's highlighting the central identity of a Christian as being someone who embraces the reality of their own humility, right? So what, what do I mean by that? Well, 
When we baptize these kids, and if you've been baptized in the past, right, you are being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the symbolism of water is saying that God is showing you that if you respond in faith, that all of your sins will be cleansed. Right? And the essence of a Christian, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're like, I don't even know. Christians just seem like you know, people I don't understand. Right? I, I, don't know what, I don't know why they think the way they do. I don't know why they um, are involved the way they're involved with, uh, with the community, with all these things. I don't understand any of that. I'll tell you, the essence of a true Christian is someone who looks at themselves and says, I am a recipient of mercy. Right? If you're a Christian here today, your very essence and identity is someone who has received mercy. And think about the impact that this will have on these kids, right? Uh, as these little ones grow up uh, and their parents rem- tell them about this day and they show them the pictures and they tell them what's happening and say, look, from the very beginning of your lives, you have been someone identified as being in the need of mercy. That is who you are. And so there is no place for arrogance in Christ's church that we often find ourselves filled with such. Right? It's interesting. Um, I was thinking about this. You know, we don't have a lot of requirements for membership. We will be bringing new members up. We don't do a big-time theological exam. Right? We don't ask them to define superlapsarianism. Thankfully, they don't ask me to define it either. Um, but uh, instead, what we say is, do you believe? You'll hear this in the vows, right? You're joining this church, only five vows. First two are about this. Do you be- actually believe that your identity is rooted in mercy? Right? Do you believe that about yourself? Because if you do, you can have some of the most deep relationships with other people that you've ever experienced. See, what gets in the way of relationships more often than not? Biggest thing that will get in in the way of relationships in your life, the life of these kids, in my life, is pride and arrogance, right? Someone wrongs you, for example, and you hold a grudge, you don't extend to them forgiveness. Why is Jesus? Jesus gets really mad about that, by the way, too, right? even includes it in the Lord's Prayer, something you should pray every day. He says, because if you're not forgiving, then you are no longer identifying yourself with mercy. You're identifying yourself with your abilities. Um, And his heart breaks over that. So the very basic requirement for entering the kingdom, says Jesus Christ, is the requirement of humility, of saying, "I, I believe that I am a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope, except by His sovereign mercy. And so that is the basic uh, requirement for membership. I want to say a little bit about uh, our ordination of, of elder. You know, the, the, one of the most basic requirements for an elder in the New Testament, one of the most very basic requirements, and some of you are nominating folks, so you can think about this as well, is humility. Right? So Paul, St. Paul will say this. He'll say, don't ordain a new convert. Why? Because he might get puffed up. He might be more exposed to the danger of arrogance. And therefore, the most basic requirement for an elder, I would suggest to you, is humility. I want to honor Craig for a second. Here he is on his big day, right, taking on this burden. And you want to know what he was doing this morning? I can tell you what he was doing. 
He was wheeling in those tables, right? Here he is uh, taking the office of the, really the highest leadership in this church, and his time was spent wheeling in tables. And I bet you you'll see him tearing down too. And if you don't, you know, he'll feel pressure now, so. <laughs> right, so the very basic uh, requirement for, there are other requirements, by the way, but one of the most basic requirements is that of humility. And this research uh, that I'm familiar with, what, what they were saying is this, the, the main reason that, that they discerned that kids raised in Christian homes walked away from what they were raised, one of, the main reason in their research was seeing their parents sin and then not seeing their parents confess it and ask for forgiveness, right? Main reason in their, in their research, right? Um, and therefore, as a parent, right, as you guys raise these children in your home, as you try to fulfill the vows that you'll be making today at their baptism, the very most basic, and I would argue one of the most powerful things you can do as a parent is be vulnerable enough with your children so that they understand my mom is a sinner, right? Which, by the way, moms, you're welcome, <laughs> right? Moms often feel this, especially with the first kid. You know, I, I'm aware that I'm a sinner now. <laughs> it's awesome. So one of the most basic things that you can do as a parent is let your kids in on the reality that you are a sinner and that you find yourself in need of God's mercy, and they do too, right? And so uh, what we're going to be doing here is we're going to be giving this sign to these kids. We're going to be welcoming new members, and then we're going to have uh, our ordination of Craig and my hope and my desire for all of you, members of Ironworks, visitors uh, as well, parents especially, is that your identity would be rooted in the mercy that you have received through Jesus Christ our Lord as he pours it out upon you abundantly.